Amen. All right, our kids are dismissed. Find Dr. Molecule over here in the front and head on down. While they're doing that, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and find 2 Peter chapter 3 in your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1 um, to grab the whole context here, uh, and when we do that, let's go ahead and stand as we read God's Word this morning. We're finishing up in uh, First and Second Peter today, and we're going to be moving in the next month uh, towards Easter, intentionally moving towards Easter. We're going to look at the final week of Jesus's life as we do that, um, how God used all those moments uh, to bring us redemption. So, uh, but today um, we're going to be in First Peter three, so or Second Peter chapter three. Here we go. It says this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Uh, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And one of the things that we do as we come to church as believers is to be constantly reminded back uh, what God has said, who he is, and the worship this morning. I hope you feel that reminds you of um, our need just to be in his presence um, by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, and this is, now he's leaping to our time. He's, they experienced it back then, but he's leaping to our time here. Knowing that, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They say, okay, they will, they will say, uh, and they are saying right now, where's this promise of his coming? Uh, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Um, in, in other words, they're saying, where's God? He doesn't seem to be working. He doesn't seem to be doing anything. Uh, for they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed out of the water, through water, by the word of God. In other words, they deliberately um, reject and ignore and argue against the idea that God created the world. Is that happening today? <laughs> and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In other words, they deliberately ignore and reject the idea of Noah's flood. They don't want to hear that understand that, believe that. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Uh, when Noah's flood happened, God gave the rainbow, said, I will never destroy the earth again by way of a flood. Um, but the judgment that's coming is reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow in fo to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Father, we thank you for your word, for your promise, for the hope that we have, God, that one day, and uh, Lord, it seems sooner than later, that judgment is coming. We, in some ways, look forward to that um, because we know that 
the pain and the sickness and the evil and the darkness, Lord, are going to be ultimately and finally done away with, um, that you are going to uh, restore your creation uh, to the environment that it was initially intended to be, Lord, a perfect place in which perfect people dwell with their perfect God, and you made us perfect through Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. And God, we, uh, we thank you that we can have confidence in those promises, confidence in the salvation that we have through faith in Jesus, that you've accomplished all these things and made them true and real and, and uh, uh, secure in our hearts through the power and the indwelling spirit. But God, we also have a, a reservation, a hesitation about these things too, because there are so many people who need you, who are mocking and rejecting and scoffing and ridiculing the very faith that we hold so dear, the very Savior that uh, we cherish and the relationship that we have with you that we need and are desperate for. Uh, God, we pray that eyes would be open, hearts would be open, ears would begin to hear uh, you, Lord, as you work in people's lives. And we participate in simply um, living out the gospel, sharing it verbally, um, trusting your plan and your path. You know, God, we pray that you would encourage your people and win new people to your kingdom. And God, would you be glorified in all of this? God, would you make your word come to life in people's hearts? God, we, uh, we just ask... <laughs> That even in this moment, that many people would hear what it means to know you and respond by a simple act of faith. Whether that's a leap or, or, a, or a short step, God, would you win people to yourself today? For your glory, for our sake, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... Uh, one of the curious things about Peter is that he brings up multiple times throughout First and Second Peter uh, spiritual mysteries that are kind of hard to grasp, which is the nature of a mystery. Let's talk about a mystery. He, he says uh, about Paul, he says, he, Paul says things. Uh, that are hard to understand. Ignorant, unstable people twist them to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures, and, and referring to Paul's writings as scripture, which is very interesting for us to have that in our New Testament, that while the New Testament is being written, they're regarding each other's writings as scripture, as authoritative as the Old Testament. Okay, that's a profound statement. But Peter, he throws these little things out there uh, from time to time in his writing that are as hard to understand as anything that Paul wrote. Um, and so we're going to dive into some mysteries. I've always kind of wanted to do this, dive into some of the mysteries that Peter brings out. Um, but I'm just going to try to be quick about a, a couple of them. One is actually in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, Peter says uh, that Jesus descended um, to Hades. Um, he, he preached the gospel to those who are being punished, who are, and, and you're like, it, he just kind of throws that out there and leaves it, and then he kind of continues on with what he's talking about. And there are a couple ways to, to take that, okay, this mystery that he, he just throws at you when you're reading through this. One is that um, when Jesus died on the cross, where did he go? Where did his soul go? go in that time. And your mind starts to spin on all these possibilities of where his soul went when he died. Now, we take that and let's just leave that for a second. But the other interpretation is that he says, when in the days of Noah, the people were perishing, etc., they were rebellious and disobedient. So, so you have this way uh, of escape where you can say, well, the gospel was being preached by Noah to people 
It's the gospel of Christ. It's the only gospel that exists. And those people were, were hearing about the, how God is, is going to judge the earth. And so we, we need to respond to God in, in faith. And so the gospel is being preached, but they perished. So you can say that that maybe is what happened. But your mind starts to go back to this idea of, well, where did Jesus go when he died? Right? Anybody think about that? Like, he says um, that uh, to the, the thief on the cross, he says, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Okay. So we have that, but then this one commentator, Seth and I were talking about this. He was reading that. I, I didn't read it, but he brought it up to me. He said, one commentator says that the comma, you could move it around. So he might be saying, uh, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. So that kind of puts into question, well, is he, is he referring to at some point he's going to be with him in paradise? Maybe not right, right today, but... But I'm just telling you today, and, and maybe it's some other time that we're going to be in paradise together. And so, <laughs> and then he, he, uh, he talks about this um, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. He says that uh, he who knew no sin, uh, what happened to him? He became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So when Jesus was on the cross... Um, he paid for sin, right, as a sacrifice. But what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians is that he manifestly became sin. That he, he took your sin on his body, on himself, and then he paid the penalty and the price for that. So if that's the case and he's paying the price for your sin, where does he deserve to go? You're like, I'm afraid to say that. Um, and so we're kind of like, well, he can't become sin, die on the cross, and then go to heaven. Like, this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. He tells Mary Magdalene, um, this is in the Gospel of John, he says, um, don't hold on to me, right, because what? I have not yet been to the Father, not yet ascended to, to the Father. And then you could take that and say, well, um, does he mean that I'm going to ascend to heaven? Like, okay, in a month or so, I'm going to go to the Father, so don't hang on to me because I'm not sticking around here. Or does he mean I did not yet go to the Father? I haven't been to him yet. And so there's this question of where did he go? I refer back to Luke chapter 16 where Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, you remember this story? They both die, and the rich man goes to um, torment and Lazarus goes to paradise or Abraham's side, and uh, there's a chasm in between. Well, the whole place is called Hades. It's a general reference for uh, that place where people go when they die. The whole, the whole thing is. And it's part of its paradise and part of its torment. Um, and then Jesus, when he died, did he go down to the paradise side? And, and, uh, and then when he ascended, did he empty out that that paradise side of Hades, where that would explain a little bit about where Old Testament faithful believers went when they died, but now we get to go directly to heaven because Paul says, when I die and I'm away from this body, I go directly into the presence of God. We believe that, right? When you die, you don't go to purgatory. You go directly to the presence of God. And all these things, you know, begin to compound like this mystery. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. Um, this sermon is not all about where Jesus went when he died. Um, how much does that matter to your day-to-day -day faith? What's the practical application of where Jesus went when he died? Anybody? Nobody? Because you don't know. Because there really isn't. It's just something fun to think about. Does it matter? I've, I've seen... You know, commentators that are uh, great Bible scholars on both sides of this issue, I respect them all, and they, they have different views, and they could be 100% in disagreement with each other on what happened. And very few of them agree with what, what I think happened, and we're all still believers, and still, you know, highly respect the Word of God and love God. The, the teaching of God's word and love the Lord and it doesn't necessarily make a huge difference to your day-to-day -day faith. It's just a, 
It's just a mystery that we're kind of scratching our heads over. And then Peter says in uh, 2 Peter, he says there were these um, angels uh, who uh, are going to go, who have, are being bound for a day of, of judgment. They were disobedient angels. They're being, they being tied up in chains and they're in gloomy darkness. You know this, this passage? And uh, there's another mystery here. What, what's going on with these angels? Like, Peter doesn't call them demons. He says they're disobedient angels who are being kept. But the New Testament says that there are demons who are uh, actively involved in working in the world and, and causing lots of problems. Um, and yet there are these other ones, it sounds like, that are being bound and kept for a, a future day. What's going on with that? He, he doesn't explain it. He uses this one little word. It's, it's called uh, Tartarus to describe this place where these uh, angels or demons or whatever they are, where they're being kept. And, and uh, did they break some, some rule that God said, okay, you can do this much, but not this. You can't break this rule. And if they do this, then they're going to go and get kept in this place for some future day. Or, and we're kind of looking at that like, I, I'm not sure what that's really talking about. And uh, again, it's like, here's a mystery and we could go on and on and on talking about some of these things, but they pale in comparison to the greatest mystery that Peter is going to bring up that people are wrestling with that actually does affect your day-to-day -day life. He says that in the last days, um, there will be scoffers who scoff and they follow their, their own sinful desires and they'll say, where's this promise of his coming and they deliberately deny the creation. They deliberately deny the flood. And here's what they're really saying is, and this is what we wrestle with. Where's God? How come God is not intervening in our lives? Why, is not, why isn't God um, interjecting himself in manifestly undeniable ways in the world to prevent suffering. You ever think about that? This is kind of their argument. Um, and I don't know if they're really arguing this as much as they're just using it to do what they want to do because they want to uh, come up with some reason why we don't have to worry about what's going to happen when we die. Why isn't God doing more? You ever, you ever wonder? Why do Christians suffer? Why do good people um, go through pain and suffering and disease and heartbreak and divorce and rebellious children and brokenness and calamity? I, I, uh, I brought this up a, a few weeks ago. I'm praying for a friend of mine who's um, in California. He's a wonderful Christian guy, wonderful pastor, been a faithful pastor for many, many years. Uh, and, and about two months ago, he's walking down the street and um, he literally gets hit by a truck. Just He's on the sidewalk and there's a car accident that happens and one of these vehicles in the car accident spins off the road onto the sidewalk and, and um, crushes him. And the other guy he's with knocks him out of the way. But, I mean, they get slammed. I mean, can you imagine the, you know, he's still recovering, okay? And one day, I think he's going to get back into the pulpit and, and be preaching again. Can you imagine the stories? You, you know, hey, uh, you know, back when I got hit by a truck. You know, you, you feel like you get hit by a truck sometimes. But to be able to say, I, I actually got hit by a truck. He showed me a picture of it. It's like... Anybody know the truck that John Ricky drives around? Okay. It's like that. And it's like, wow. Why? Here's what um, non-believers could say. Well, how come um, God didn't prevent that from happening? How come you weren't five steps back? Or how come he didn't just kind of move that truck around you? And you guys, and you still have a great story, wouldn't you? You say, Man, we were right here, and this truck came flying by, and I was this close to getting crushed. But God, you know, he prevented that from happening. But he didn't. He didn't do that that time. I don't know why. I, I have no good answer for that. Um, 
Anybody know the, the terrorist group Boko Haram? And how many tens of thousands of Christian people they are slaughtering? Their, their primary method of killing is machetes. Okay, imagine being a Christian person in these, these places where a terrorist group comes in and they're just slashing people to death. Uh, a few years ago, they, uh, they went into a Christian school and they kidnapped um, a group of young Christian women. You remember this story? Kidnapped these young Christian women and uh, married, forcibly married them off to uh, Islamic Muslim men in their terrorist organization. Um, and, and you think, what, what is going on here? Like, why didn't God step in and prevent that? And, and this is the, the argument, the, the mystery of how we, you know, have to try to wrestle with and understand what, what's God's activity and, and plan and how he works. And sometimes we, we see a great act of mercy and sometimes we see things that we just can't fathom. We can't even understand it. Uh, you know, last week I, I spoke uh, quite a little bit about... Um, Robbie Zacharias and, and all that came out about him. And, and, uh, and you know, then I had a conversation with somebody through the week, and they were like, I don't, I don't understand why God would have allowed somebody who is living such a, a categorically hypocritical life to have such a platform, to have an international ministry that is world-renowned and widely respected and very profitable, I assume. And, like, how, did, how come God didn't step in and stop that and change that and reveal? I mean, yeah, he revealed it, but Robbie, you know, he died last year. And all these things came out now. And why does that happen? And what we end up with is this mystery of, well, we say this. And I want you to, I want to take a little poll here and see what you think. God works in mysterious ways. Is that in the Bible or not in the Bible? Raise your hand if you think that's in the Bible. That's a Bible passage. Okay. Raise your hand if you do not believe that's in the Bible. Okay. How many of you don't, don't want to say because you just don't want to be wrong? <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's indirectly. You could, you could come to that conclusion from the Scripture, but it's not, that's not a quote from Scripture. God works in mysterious ways. Yet, it's an undeniable reality that we live with, isn't it? He works in mysterious ways. He, we know that He's working. But why doesn't He work in undeniable ways? Why doesn't he work in manifestly obvious ways that nobody could possibly contradict? Why doesn't he do that? Because we could have an endless amount of discussion about how God works in our lives and, and have the evidence of how he works in our lives, and a non-believer could say, but I don't believe that. And what's interesting is that Peter, he brings this up. In the very first part of his first letter, he says, I saw Jesus glorified. I was there on the mountain when this happened, when he, he was transfigured before us. I walked with him for three years during his earthly ministry. And he, Peter doesn't bring this up, but you kind of imply it. You kind of understand it. And yet, even though I saw, I still failed to really believe. I wanted to believe. I wanted to say I would die with him. And in fact, I did say that I would die with him. But when it came to that point, I didn't do that. I denied. I rejected. I called down curses on myself. I said, I, I don't know the man. To his face. The creator of the universe and the savior of the world, I denied knowing him to his face even though I saw all this. Judas, 
right there with him, walked with Jesus for all those years, was in the midst of all the ministry, multiplying fish and bread and walking on water and seeing people healed and hearing the gospel and, and saw the, the reality of Jesus every single day. He saw, but he didn't what? Believe. Why, why wouldn't he? Why didn't he? And here's what, what we understand um, is that seeing is not believing. You ever heard this before? Believing is seeing. And something happens when you begin to trust the subtle and the mysterious working of God that it begins to grow in you this sense of confirmation over and over and over that God, I don't know why. I mean, I know his character and I know his, his nature and as he reveals it and as I've had my own experience with him, but I don't know why he is so respectful of humanity that he trusts you to make your own choice, whether you're going to believe him or you're going to reject him. He, he is, my grandfather used to say this, he is a gentleman. He doesn't, he doesn't impose himself into your life. He invites you into his life. He, he sends that invitation out and says, if I love you and I want you and I want, to, I want you in heaven with me forever, but I'm not going to force you to love me. I'm going to invite you to love me. And he says, I, just, I trust you to make your own choice on that. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But I see that, and I've experienced that. And the more that you do, the more you understand what Peter begins to say mysteriously about the a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, you know, all that. It's not as if God is forgetful of time. <laughs> His point here is um, God is patient. It seems like a long time that God is patiently waiting for for people to get it, to get him, and to trust him, to love him. But he's saying that in all this time, he's, he's giving you an opportunity because the next time that he um, breaks into, manifestly into this world in a way that's going to be obvious to the entire creation, it's going to be a day of judgment, right? He's talking about the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is not a day of a wonderful revival as much as we would love it to be. The day of the Lord is a day when God is going to stop all the evil that's been going on. He's going to judge all the, the wicked who have rejected his plan and his path. And so I'm ready for the day of the Lord. Are you? Half of you are like, I'm ready for that, I think. <laughs> the other half are like, I I'm not sure. There's a tug of war in my heart. We'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm ready for it for myself because I'm ready for that, that new heaven, new earth, the, the, the removal of things that are evil and cause evil and are impure and that uh, cause struggle and the, the sense of tug of war in my own heart and the things that are causing stress and anger and division. I'm ready for that to be done with. I'm ready for Jesus to call his church home and to experience heaven, and to enjoy the glory that he's, he's prepared and promised. Amen? I'm ready for that. But when that day comes, it's going to be the removal of a choice for those who don't net, yet know him. That decision is, is over with. And I'm not ready for that for other people. So, Here's where we have to come to is, is how do we live in, in the light of the day of the Lord, okay? How do we live in light of the day of the Lord? And I'm going to give you just five things that I believe are really important for church uh, to understand. The first one is faith. Um, God works in mysterious ways, and I don't have all the answers for why he doesn't do certain things or why he does do other things. And, but here's what I know is that in my own life, um, when I had experiences with God, I recognized it as being God. I don't know why. It, and even that's a gift of God. 
Um, I believe, and you may not agree with me, but I believe that every single human being on this earth has experiences with God. And they choose what they're going to do with that. Some people choose to call it luck or good fortune or coincidence or fate or their own intelligence or whatever. Other people, for whatever reason, I've never been able to figure this out, but some people um, are convinced that it is God at work in their life. And I've seen these things in my own life. Um, I remember being four or five years old and just loving the Lord. Now, I turned and I kind of went my own way for a while, but I always remember that. I remember being spared um, from uh, being uh, crushed in car accidents. I had two car-demolishing car accidents, okay, when I was 16. Before I turned 17, I had destroyed four cars, okay, my two and the other two in the accidents, and walked away without an injury, okay? I sprained my wrist. My wrist doesn't bend very far from the time I was 16 because of that. That's it. I should have died. I knew God was at work in that. He, he had mercy there. I don't know. He didn't keep me from the accident, but he kept me in the accident. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is just a few weeks ago. Stupid, okay? Stupid. I was working on our closet. I put this uh, um, cedar planking in. You know, if you go into uh, Mario's old office, uh, Sunday school class across the uh, hall from the eating room, there's that wall, cedar planking. Well, I was putting that stuff up in uh, our closet. And so it's like tongue and groove stuff, and I'm putting it, and I'm nailing it to the wall. And Okay, so the nail gun that I have um, is kind of malfunctions a little bit. So you don't have to pull the trigger. You just have to depress the, the front of it. You know what I'm talking about? A nailer. Do they all do that? I don't know. Well, this one, you don't have to pull the trigger. Anyway, I'm working along, and, you know, this piece of wood, it, it needs to go this way a little bit. And I got the nailer in one hand, and I got the board here, and I'm, like, just pushing the board with the nailer, just trying to push it a little bit over so I could get it in place. You know what I'm talking about? And a, it just pushed it enough that a nail comes shooting out. And I felt it. And I just grabbed my hand like that. And I'm like, okay, that hurts. I don't know how bad it is. And I'm just squeezing. I'm a terrified to look at it. And so I put the nailer down. I walk into the bathroom. I'm turning the water on. I'm ready just to, like, do surgery or something. You know, just like... <laughs> And I just build up the courage to open my hand, and it's one little speck of just where it just nicked me. It just grazed my hand. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, thank you, God. That's all, I mean, I deserve a nail in my hand, for sure. Um, but it just was merciful. Why? I don't know why. I recognize that as being God's mercy in my, in my life. I don't expect that all the time. I'm not mad if it doesn't happen, but I sure am going to give God thanks and praise when it does happen, aren't you? And you just build. So here's the thing with faith is you build and, and it compounds and it grows because every moment as you build that relationship with God and you recognize that he, he is at work and you give him praise for what he does in your life, then at, at this stage in my life, okay, it's undeniable of God's presence in my life. I, I don't have doubts. Um, and I'm not saying that pridefully like, oh, I don't, you know. I, it's just the relationship and the constant discipline of recognizing what God's doing in my life and seeing it and praising Him and praying and seeking and it just builds to a point of, I don't doubt that. I wonder about a lot of things, but I don't wonder about his, his, who he is and the fact that he's real and that he's working in my life. It's faith that grows.
God's revealed himself to you, and, and what you have to do is to go back and remember how he showed you who he was. Start praising him for what he showed you in the dark so that, or in the light so that you can walk in the dark. Because there are times when it is dark, and you have to remember what he showed you in the light. Amen? Secondly, godliness. Um, respect. <laughs> respect for God. Okay, that's what godliness really is. I talked about that last week, but here's another aspect of it. It's respect for how much God hates sin. God only has two options for sin. That's it. Either he will forgive it through the blood of Jesus because you receive Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin, or he's going to judge it eternally in hell. Okay? He doesn't compromise with sin. And so when I say respect for how much God hates sin, here's what I know is that, um, have you ever heard this? Like, we should hate sin as much as God does. Anybody you ever heard that before? Have I said that before? You're like, yeah, I think you may be. I don't know. It's, you can't. It's not possible. You are not holy like God is. You have a sinful nature even though God has forgiven it and he has implanted his Holy Spirit within you and caused you to have a new nature in Christ, you still have those old sinful desires that are warring and battling within you. You have an old nature and a new nature, and they're constantly a tug of war. You cannot hate sin the way that God does, but you can understand how much he hates it. And you can understand how much he hates it so that you can uh, prevent yourself from compromising with sin. Because that's what we do. We, we think that we can kind of skate in the middle. God doesn't skate in the middle. He's either going to forgive it, so we need to repent, or there's judgment. That's it. So what you do with, you know, sin is really going to, it's up to you. But don't think that there's some middle ground that God's kind of winking. <laughs> it's like, eh, it's no big deal. There's no cheap grace. He paid a high price to bring us to a place of forgiveness. He doesn't compromise with it. Um, so godliness respects that God hates sin and says, I respect that. And I want to deal with sin the way that God's going to deal with sin, which means I have to come and bring it to the Lord in repentance. Um, third is fear. Um, and we talked a little bit about fear last week, but I want to take it in a different direction and maybe it's not fear as much as it's horror, okay? It's, it's a sense of horror of where people go when they die if they don't know the Lord. I've heard this before, I've, um, and some of you have this question. You've brought it to me, and multiple times I've heard this. How are we going to enjoy heaven if we know that loved ones are in hell? Anybody ever had that thought? How can I just, you know be in glory and, and no suffering, no pain, when I know that my loved one, my brother, my sister, my child, my parent, my cousin, my coworker, my friend, that they're burning in hell for all time, how can I not be horrified by that? Right? So here's the question. Are you horrified now? Why are we borrowing from this idea of what's going to happen in the future and not allowing ourselves to have that same sense of horror now? Like you're going to ask me why, you know, how heaven's going to be and how I'm going to be able to, Are you comfortable now? Are you at peace now? Do you not sense an urgency now for people? That, that you need to pray for them and invite them to know the Lord or invite them to church or to share your faith with them, your testimony. I mean, I'm just going to be real here. I'm preaching to myself, okay, as much as I'm preaching to anybody else. But this is what happens. We neglect fundamentally, because I hear this, see this. I mean, you look at the statistics, it's all over the place. 
How many Christians, I was just reading this on um, LifeWay Research, how many Christians are sharing their faith actively? Very few. How many have, have invited somebody to, to church in the last month? It was just, I mean, dismal numbers. How many times have you shared your faith with somebody in the last month? Can you scratch your head and think about when's the last time I actively said anything to anyone to bring them to the Lord? I'm not trying to criticize them. I'm, I look back over my own, you know, experiences. And as a pastor, you know, I get kind of a free, get out of jail free card <laughs> because I'm proclaiming the gospel on Sunday morning to all of you and on the radio and, and on Facebook and all of that. But in my day-to-day -day walk, unless they come to me with the question, am I sharing, you know, my faith and, and the need for Jesus with people in a reg, on a regular basis. I mean, it's one thing to say I'm going to be horrified at the idea of somebody in, in hell when I'm in heaven, but am I horrified now? You see what I'm saying? So if you, if you ask me about that next time, I'm just going to say, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it now? You're concerned that that person is going to go to hell? Then have you, have you invited them to church? Have you shared your faith with them? Have you written them a letter? Have you prayed for them? Have you done anything to prevent that terrible thing from happening? That's the fear that I'm talking about. We kind of put it off like, well, you know, maybe someday. We don't, we don't know. I mean, you might be here for many, many more years, but that person might not. So what are we doing now? We need to live with that, that kind of fear. Um, fourth, <laughs> changing direction here a little bit, hope. Just, I mean, I already talked about this, but the idea that one day all this mess, God's going to fairly and righteously deal with it. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm so, like I said, I long for that. I, I'm more and more ex just hopefully expectant of heaven and eternity and the rapture and just av avoiding this mess. But here's the thing about hope. As much as I have it for me and for those who know the Lord, this is what Peter says is that you have to, hold in one hand that hope of your own eternity, but in the other hand, the patience that while I'm here, as long as I'm here, this is an opportunity for somebody who does not know the Lord to come to know him. And the Bible says this repeatedly. God does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to a point of, of knowing him, repentance and salvation. That's what his desire is for everyone. Amen. And we say, well, what's God doing about it? And he says to you and me, what are you doing about it? This was Jesus' model. He came, he died the death that we deserve, and then he says, go ye therefore into all the earth, making what? Disciples, teaching them everything that I taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll always be with you. But he, he doesn't say, okay, guys, I'll, I got it from here. He says, I've given you the message. I've given you faith. I've given you power of the Holy Spirit. I've given you the word of God. I've given you all the opportunities. I've given you so many resources. Take that and use it to help people to know me. And then I will be there working among you, with you, going before you and after you, and I'll be the one saving, but I'm going to use you as my mouthpiece, and I'm going to use you as my model, and I'm going to use you as the hands and feet, right? What we always say. So I long for the day that we get to be with the Lord and, and be done with the garbage. But Paul says, as long as I'm in the body, I'm, I can do the work of Christ. And I know that that's better for you. 
And so I know that God's going to keep me here as long as I have work to do for him. Where do you start? Where, where do you and I start in helping somebody to know the Lord? Because this is, can be pretty overwhelming. Would you agree? It's like there's a whole world out there that needs to know Jesus. What, I'm supposed to try to save everybody? Here's what we do. You start with, first of all, your own home. Start there, okay? When, when you're actively um, praying for and living out the gospel in your home, great, okay? I'm not saying you have to wait until that's happening, happening perfectly to do the next thing, but you better make sure you're at least doing that. <laughs> that's the first thing. Secondly, um, who are the people in your, in your circle you're working with, you're coming into contact with? You're related to who? Who do you who do you begin to just? Am I am I sh showing them what a Christian looks like? Am I inviting them to see and to hear and to understand what I know, the greatest gift I've ever gotten? Am I doing that? Am I? So we just start with um, one thing in particular: is prayer. Um, if God has put somebody on your heart, and I know, because I need constant reminders. If God is putting somebody on your heart, don't forget to lift that person up to the Lord because His Spirit working in them paves the way for you to be able to say something to them. And then you pray, God, give me an opportunity. And as He does that, gives you an opportunity, then you know that you have an open door to step into and say, you know, what's, what's God doing in your life? I've been praying for you. What, is there something I can pray for you more specifically? I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just a, one movement towards helping somebody to know the Lord. And then if that person makes a step towards Christ, I mean, you've just rescued somebody from a torment that we can't even comprehend. Amen? I love that I don't have to worry about eternal condemnation for myself. I hate how selfish I am with that. I want that to change for me. And I want it to change for our church. Amen? Father, we love you. God, we need you. Um, there's nothing more practical than your work, your presence, your power um, in our lives, Lord. And sometimes it, it does seem mysterious, and sometimes we're looking for answers that we don't feel like we're getting. I know sometimes I'm, I'm asking the wrong questions. I, I want you to do my will instead of really let it, letting you show me what your will is and Father, I, I pray that you would forgive me for that. Um, I pray, Lord, our hearts would be open to your direction, your will, what you want. And uh, God, would you give us the courage uh, when you begin to move, Lord, to just move with you. We can do nothing. Jesus... <laughs> You said yourself, you could do nothing apart from your Father. How much less could we do? We, we need you. But we're here, we're willing, God, to do what you're calling us to do. And we know that you'll be with us. Father, we pray right now for those who um, are maybe hearing the gospel for the first time. Lord, I pray uh, that you would quicken their hearts. Help them to respond in, in faith, Lord. I pray that there would be just a, um, a desire, even a desperate desire, just to, to know the peace that surpasses all understanding that comes only through Jesus Christ. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that all these things would be working together for your glory and for our good and for the sake of this dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to invite you this morning. This, you know, I've 
probably said this a thousand times, there are two things that we have to respond to. One is if you have not responded to Jesus Christ in your own heart, if you have not come to a place where you have said, Lord, please forgive my sin. I want the salvation that I'm hearing about. I want to have the confidence of eternal life that I keep hearing about. If you've not done that, then I invite you to just respond to Jesus right now. You say, I, I want to believe. I'm not sure I'm quite there yet. Just say, God, would you give me faith? You can ask for that. You can ask for salvation. You can ask for faith. You can ask for the Holy Spirit to come in. You can ask for forgiveness. God says, please come and ask. I will give you what my heart's desire is for you if you would just ask. Don't assume. Ask. Secondly, if, I mean, I'm looking at a, a room of people that are believers, okay? I, I don't see that we have a lot of people that are like, oh, I need to get saved. What I do see is a lot of people who have a, a, a tremendous potential to share the gospel. Huge potential to share the gospel. Uh, would you just ask the Lord to reveal to your heart a name, a person that you can begin to pray for. And maybe you're, you've been praying for somebody and you just need that green light to step into a conversation. Amen? I mean, we're so terrified at being rejected. Think about the terror that they will feel of being rejected by God. And compare the two. Okay? And then you, you should have all the courage you need to say something. But it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that something will really move there. So ask for that. Amen? If God's putting something on your heart this morning, come, pray, lay it down. If you got somebody you want to put on the altar in your own heart to say, God, I'm giving you this person. Um, and come and kneel for a moment and pray about it. Amen. Let's stand and sing.